to the Virtual Band Director Conference. This is a 24-7 resource for you, band directors all over the world. I'm your host, John Liner. Let's get this party started. Episode 14, Excellence Through Adversity, with Darcy Williams, Rory Davis, Susan Meyer Patterson, and J.D. Yonda. Tonight is a very special night. Uh, many school districts in Texas are either at the end, have completed, or will be finishing soon their school years. So I figured this was a great time to kind of recap and reflect on what have we learned uh, and what can we use moving forward? What can we learn? So I'm, I'm thrilled uh, that we have this amazing panel. Uh, I'm going to let them kind of talk about themselves for just a brief second and introduce them, and then we'll get the show on the road. We'll start with you, J.D. Well, thanks very much, John. I appreciate you putting this together. Uh, for those of you that I don't know, I'm J.D. Yonda. I'm the um, Director of Fine Arts in Tomball ISD. Been doing that for five years. Before that, I was in Georgetown for seven years as the Director of Fine Arts. And before that, I taught high school band for 29 years. The great majority of that time was in KDISD. And I'm really glad to be here tonight. All right, Darcy. I'm Darcy Williams, and I teach at Stiles Middle School in the Leander ISD School District. And I, I don't know, I'm on what, year 16 or something? And this has got to be the craziest of the 16. <laughs> All right, Mr. Davis. Uh, hey, everybody. Again, uh, Rory Davis, uh, teach at Cinco Ranch High School. And uh, I guess this is year 27-ish, something like that. Uh, so, yeah, just been doing the band thing. All right. And Susan. Hey, everybody. I'm Susan Meyer Patterson. I um, uh, teach at McCullough Junior High um, in Connor ISD in the Woodlands. I just finished my 13th year there. Um, I am completing my 30th year of teaching and recently announced my retirement from public school. I've taught K through 12 um, uh, and started um, the beginning of my career in KDISD, so I know some of these guys. Um, and just really, really um, happy to be with you guys. And thank you, John, for doing this for all of these weeks um, to give us all something to look forward to and learn. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled that you guys could be a part. If you've been watching us, you'll recognize two of the faces on here. Uh, but you see, we have two brand new faces. And I, I told the panelists this earlier. It's like, I think their perspective is so valuable because none of us teach at the same school. So we all have different perspective. We're all coming from different places. Um, and we have a very special thing in that we have uh, Mr. Yonda here, who is a fine arts director. So he's not just a band. He was a band director, but now he has a bigger broader perspective. So let's get this party. I'm tired of talking. It's time to learn, <laughs> folks. Uh, so we're going to start, excuse me, with Susan. Uh, what's your biggest takeaway from the last few weeks of instruction? Um, so we could, I could just talk for the next hour on this, but I, of course I won't. Um, my, my takeaway is, is kind of twofold, one about students and one about us as colleagues. Um, you guys, the collaboration that has occurred during this time makes me so proud to be a music educator. And I'm, I'm not just talking local, like global. Um, it, it's incredible how much we've supported each other. And I hope when and if things go back to normal that we remember that, for, um, first of all. Second, like I'm thinking that we, we have survived 11, uh, for 11 weeks of what we didn't think we could do 
one day um, when we first knew that that we weren't coming back to school. Um, and I, re- I remember the very, very beginning, music education's not supposed to be online. No, it's not. But by goodness, we figured out a way to do, do it. Um, and that kids, um, when the foundation is in place with our students, they'll keep doing whatever we ask them to do. And so kids are amazing um, and have great, great hearts. So um, I think that that's one thing that we all can remember when we see them in real life is how precious that time is. Because when we go back to online instruction, which we probably will at some point again, um, those relationships will be um, we'll, we'll be able to continue. And then last, um, I have a little daily calendar. I know that a lot of you guys do. I love turning the page and I love it when those days match exactly what's happening. Um, so I have, um, sitting here at my desk since we started this, um, my calendar, uh, page from Monday, April 27th, which was supposed to be the first day of our week of UIL. And the quote is we learn to do something by doing it. There is just no other way. It's John Holt. I'm not even sure who John Holt is, but I kept that here to remind me that we're doing it. We're going to keep doing it. And um, so that's that's my version of my takeaway. I'll tag on to that because I think the, the biggest takeaway that I have had from this has been the relationship piece. Um, and, you know, just being very frank, the kids that we had strong relationships with have done a great job. And it has been painfully obvious the kids that we didn't um, because those children and those families um, have been resistant every step of the way. Um, and it's, it, I don't know, it's the conversation that, you know, Jenna and TJ and I have had this whole time is that um, we have to do a better job of, of getting on a personal level with each of these kids um, because so much of band is working for us. Like I know that we're supposed to make the kids love band, um, but the vehicle of band is us. And when the kids are bought into us, they will do almost anything. Um, And it's really easy for us to get blinded by the kids that are bought in and us to miss the kids that are not. Um, And that, that just be, has been really obvious to us. And also being very honest, it makes me very concerned about starting beginners kids that I don't have relationships with and trying to build those relationships remotely. Um, you know, there's, there's so much about, you know, body language and tone and um, just the energy that we can have in the band hall. And I mean, y'all know, cause y'all been doing this too. It is really hard to recreate that over a screen and it, it makes me nervous, honestly. Yeah, I would, I would say, I would totally agree with you. Darcy, um, one of the big takeaways that I've found is that the students' personalities, their motivation, and their accountability has totally been exposed. You know, um, whatever that looks like for every different child, it has totally been exposed. And, you know, that which seems obvious in a classroom may not necessarily be so when the teacher mm-hmm. is removed from the equation. There are some things that we took for granted until we removed the teacher from the equation and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, that's all, like you were talking about relationship, that's the key part for kid A or kid B. You know, kid C may may be able to do anything, anywhere, at any time, but you got two other kids that are completely dependent on you driving the train for them, so to speak. 
Yeah, and I, I think that all of those are brilliant points. The thing that's been the, the biggest takeaway for me is that we've had an opportunity to be ultra creative. We talk all the time about how creative kids are that are in band, but we 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 often overstate that. You know, our kids are talented. Not all of our kids are creative. We teach kids to be talented, and there's a big difference between being talented and being creative. But now we've forced ourselves as teachers and as educators to be creative. We've had to create instruction. We've had to create vehicles for instruction. We've had to create a way to create a relationship across the Internet. And, and to me, that speaks of, of that ability to be creative. Our kids have had to be creative, too, with some of the things they've done for us. I think now we can, uh, in, in a more serious way, talk about how creative band kids are and not just how talented band kids are, because I see those as two different things. Absolutely. And we were talking about the different things that we have going on, you know, before pre-corona, you know, we're sitting down in band class, we're sitting down with our beginners. Um, and then all of a sudden we're behind computer screens. So Darcy, for you, how does your your expectation of excellence change uh, with this virtual instruction? Well, I, I would love to be able to say that nothing has changed and my expectations are exactly the same. I would love to say that. Um, but the reality is it's it has been edited, um, you know, with my being lucky to have the top band, you know, the, the kids that I, I teach in my honors band, I have been able to keep that level really high with those kids. Um, but, you know, one of the roadblocks we came up against, and I'm sure y'all did too, was that so many of our districts put restrictions on what we were allowed to do. And one of the restrictions that we came up against was that we were only allowed to um, expect our kids to do 45 minutes of band a week. And so a week. And so I, I had a, um, you know, we were like, the kids love band. If we just assign it, they're going to do it. And that's awesome until you have a principal's kid in your, in your band program. And then the principal emails you and says, this is taking my child way longer than 45 minutes. Have y'all been looking at what you're ex expecting of the kids? And we're like, crap. <laughs> um, and so then you go through and you like, you realize that first of all, somebody is watching what you're expecting. <laughs> that stinks. Um, and second of all, like, um, because they made so much of what we were doing in this period optional, because, you know, the districts, I'm sure for a long time thought this was going to be temporary as well. Um, it set a really bad precedent early on, um, you know, for, for like those first three weeks of quarantine, everything that we were doing was optional. And it, it told kids and families um, inadvertently you know, they didn't see where this was going either, but it told these kids and families that that these expectations we had, you know, you could do them or you couldn't, and you're probably going to get a pass in the grade book. Um, so we, I don't know, it it's hard. And all of y'all had the same struggle. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. Um, but so I, I was able to be um, pretty firm in my expectations with my top band. With my beginners, I had to go down to like expecting them to do three songs a week like three beginner songs a week. And then I was still getting questions about, wait, you're having the kids do a scale test on a flip grid. How long does it really take a kid to prepare for that? And wait for solo and ensemble, they should be doing that. Does their lessons count towards that 45 minutes? I mean, there were all sorts of questions that came out of the woodwork in this. Um, 
And so the reality was that we sat down and kind of decided what the bare minimum was going to be. What do we need the kids to know by the end of the year that will make them at least functional enough that we can, you know, scrape together a band next year. And let's expect that. Um, so, you know, if you're talking about your top band, the expectations were still pretty firm. If you were talking about our beginners, it was exceptionally different than what we would do on a daily basis. I think a word you said that was really key was bare minimum. And I think depending on where we teach, you know, I, I don't want I don't want to for a second think that everybody's situation is exactly the same. There are so many variables that, you know, from what a principal expects to what a district expects to even the different levels of band and different areas of band and, and demographics and, and socioeconomics and everything involved in band and the access to, to uh, you know, for online instruction, if you will. There are so many variables. And I think bare minimum was such a great way to look at it. And I think as a, as a teacher, as an educator for all of us, I think that's where we, we have to go back and start there. If we don't go back and start there, we're going to find ourselves in, in a world of hurt. Because I, I, I guarantee you there are people above us that are going, okay, what's the bare minimum? And, and, and we better be ready to jump on that train and be flexible to know what the bare minimum is for our, for our students and to be able to communicate that uh, with those who we need to communicate that. With. Well, and you bring up the socioeconomic point, And I think that um, a lot of us, because we were guilty of the same thing, you know, my school is a pretty affluent school. We have a very, very low percentage of our kids that are, um, you know, in that threshold of like free and reduced lunch. I mean, it's very, very low. So you would expect like, let's let's say we have a band program in which 98 percent of our kids not only have a district provided laptop because all of our kids in Leander do um, they have a district provided laptop. These parents have the money to provide internet access at these kids' house, we should be good. Our kids are going to be fine. They have all of the things. But just because you have the things doesn't mean the families are at a point that they could support our expectations. Um, and so, you know, the, the idea that just because some schools are very affluent, it means that they're going to have high participation. No, <laughs> just like you have the kids that are lower on that scale. Some of them may have a, actually have a stronger drive than than some of our other kids. You know, it, it really comes down to, um, you know, where their heart lies on some of this kind of stuff. Um, and it's it's been stressful. I for me and a, a lot of different things from what you guys said for, for us, we didn't have any restrictions on timing or anything like that. So I established a really consistent um, schedule and I never changed it. And um, with, with regards to um, live zoom uh, and canvas conferences um, now, the closer we got to the end of school, the kids started to taper off, but um, I found my expectation, I didn't waver that at all. Um, however, the kids knew that the grade didn't matter. And so, I, I mean, the, the grade was going to be 100 no matter what. But I still was able to say that, you know, that was not the, that they didn't reach the expectation. Um, and I'll teach beginners. So um, it, that's out of the equation for my school. But my our lower band kids, um, a lot of them, thrived in this in this environment more so which was really amazing I, mm -hmm. I think that I've learned that for our, some of the lower band kids they're ex we need to raise the expectation on them 
um, they were able to achieve way, way higher than I thought they, they were. Um, and so I think that's something that we all need to realize. And, and this was vast. It just within my own school district, the different expectations um, from school to school based on administration, we're, we're very site-based um, in Conroe ISD. So how differently everything was from here to here to here. Um, and I think we got into that comparison game, you guys, that, oh my gosh, she's doing this or they're doing this or they're able to do this. Um, and that got really hard. I mean, that got really hard for me personally because I, nev- I never want to feel like I wasn't giving the kids the, the most possible opportunity. But so many factors. And, and I, um, I had a family. I just would start calling on the phone. Um, and t- I actually texting from my personal cell has become the best way to communicate. They would answer that. Um, that m- moms would just say, oh, they're already in summer mode. So that's why they're not doing the work. It had nothing to do with any lack of support. And so I got the kid on the phone. Oh, we're not in summer mo- mode. Okay. They started to show up and finish the year strong. So I think it's real important for us going forward, not to compare, to do what works best for us and to keep the accountability and the ownership high, even if the expectation varies because of what the, the administration is asking for us. Yeah, I was watching the screen when Rory said just a minute ago that, you know, some of the lower band kids have thrived in this environment. This is something that we have all learned. When we come back to class and we get back to some sense of normalcy, you remember this. Remember what Rory just said. Some of our kids will do great in a in a in a setting that's uh, different. So that's the social anxieties that some of our kids have that they don't play well with others. They're not there. You know, the, the idea that we need to think about differentiation of instruction the same way that math teachers and English teachers think about that, and what works for a kid that's in the top band and what works for a kid in the fourth band is a different kind of instruction and being able to think about what may be a blended instruction going forward where we're doing some in person and some online, different kids will do well at different things. It's our responsibility to make sure that we are giving kids the best opportunity we can for them to excel individually. And that whole idea of it's only about the ensemble, it's all about the ensemble, that's bunk. This is about kids. You know, we do this for kids individually. Every kid, need, we need to meet their needs. And if that means that they can be a successful part of the ensemble, that's awesome. But if it means something different than that, we need to consider why we're really doing what we're doing. I sure want to take credit for that, but I can't. I think Susan was the one that said the fourth band kids were doing really well. I just, uh-huh. I just agree completely <laughs> because it was, it was so true. But anyway, just got to say that. <laughs> I know I told you we're going to go a certain order, but like the flow is, is hitting one way and I want to go that way. JD, you made a great point towards the end of what you were saying. And I want you to kind of continue down that role, road of like, what is our role of a music educator? Um, and how does that change if we return and yeah, if we return virtually? And well, you know, from from the very beginning, why I think any of us became music educators, I hope the reason was because we really care about kids, that this is about students and it's about students learning. I, I tell all the time and preach all the time that that we need to be turning out great citizens out into our planet. We need to be turning out great kids, kids that understand teamwork, kids that understand the value of hard work, 
kids that understand that that being together socially can also be an opportunity for learning. Uh, we need to make sure that we're building appropriate positive relationships with young people. We need to be modeling what a great relationship between an adolescent and an adult is supposed to be because those kids are going to be parents one day. They're going to be they're going to be raising their kids. They may be school teachers one day. They're going to be out in the world at some point. And we need to be modeling the things that absolutely teach kids how to be great people when they leave our band halls. That should be our number one role above everything else. Um, you know, and, and, and that, that sort of role modeling of relationships, I think, is is critical. Yes, we use band to do that. Band is the vehicle. Music is the vehicle about how we do that. But we 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 shouldn't uh, put the learning of music before the uh, development of young people. We're developing young people into being great older people at some point. The people that are going to take care of us when we get old and gray and we're all out in the nursing home, we need to make sure that we taught them how to be great people so they will take care of us. So uh, it, it, that that's number one about what we do. Certainly, we need to be training students to be terrific, talented musicians. We need to teach them how to be expressive. We need to have them understand what the, the beauty of Mahler. Uh, we need, they, they need to understand what that can mean and that we can express things through music that we can't express in any other way. We could get in touch with our feelings through music. There are things that music can say that words can't say. And those are important moments that we should all absolutely worry about. But we only worry about those things after we've worried about, did we raise a good kid? Did we turn this student into someone who's responsible, who can take care of their peers, who understands the value of all of the hard work that we really put in? That's our number one role as, as, a, as a music educator. Um, you know, and if we turn out kids that actually play clarinet really, really well and could actually make a go of it and become a professional musician, that's great. If we create another band director that's going to be successful passing this sort of information along to the next generation, that's great too. But but that doesn't come before we turn out great people. And what I said a while ago, I think is, is really important to remember. We have to put kids first and programs second. If our if our kids come first and, and we're worried about training great kids, and then we also are developing a great program, that's terrific. But, you know, if, if we put our program before the, the importance of each individual student in the program, we have our, our values misplaced. So I, it's just it's critical that we think about the kids that we're training and think about them as precious little souls on our planet uh, and, and make sure that we're taking care of that person first and their musical skills, while very important, take a take a pretty distant second place. And JD, we or you had kind of talked about it earlier before we let everybody in. We're talking about you know competitions, and you know Darcy, you're talking about you know the honor band process, and and we'd all kind of talked about that. And is I guess this begs the question: How important is competition in our in our own personal philosophies? How important is that to us when we're teaching kids? And now, now you're really going to have to help me shut up, but. <laughs> the the idea that that competitive band is more important than the health and safety of our students right now in the middle of COVID-19. Uh, you know, if if there's somebody in this call that that thinks that that 
winning a trophy this next year or two is more important than keeping our kids safe and our family safe, I need to reach through the screen and punch you in the face because it's just, <laughs> it's just not, uh, you know, the, the idea that this, this is important. This is a crisis in our world. We have a whole lot to learn from this. We have a whole lot to learn about taking care of each other here. And we as band directors, like I just said, we need to be the models. We need to be the role models for the people out there that are teaching whatever they're teaching. Our colleagues that are competitive on anything, whether it's, you know, the star test or whether it's high school basketball or whatever it is, we need to show the way that this is about kids. This is about kids safety. It's about kids health. It's about the families in our communities. That's what this is all about. And if we can use band as a vehicle to take care of people, that's what this is all for. And if we're going to do trophies instead of that, oh, Lordy, you, you don't belong in this profession. Sorry. Bam. Uh, uh, yeah, we're, we're done. We're that's it, folks. Good night. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we're not, we're not. Well, and, you know, just like the, the brief version of what I was saying earlier is that our time with face to face communication with these kids next year is very likely to be finite. Right. Um, and the idea of wasting that finite time preparing something for a judging panel to deem amazing does not interest me at all. Um, like if we came back and said no UIL next year, great. Let's just like play with the kids and make music and get, you know, literature under their fingers and in their brains. Like I cannot imagine thinking about the nitpicky cleaning work that we do. I don't want to clean a March next year. I want to have fun with my kids. I want to laugh with them. I want to tell fart jokes. I want to have a great time with these kids. I, the last thing that I'm interested in doing is preparing an honor band recording. Like the, the, the whole relationship component has become extremely obvious of what I'm missing in this. Like I, I'm not over, I wasn't, I, per, I personally wasn't overly upset about not going to UIL. I know lots of band directors were, um, I wasn't very upset with out giving our spring concert, but I can't tell you how upset I was when I had my last zoom with my eighth graders. Like that's the real stuff. Um, the concert, whatever, like I miss making fun of kids on a daily basis. I miss the inside jokes. I miss the kids making fun of me. Like I really legitimately miss that. And I can't imagine wasting a single second getting a clean recording next year. I well said, I'm going to jump in because I, I love everything that you said, but I, I am still grieving for that spring concert. With, has nothing to do with my retirement. I'm grieving for the music that didn't get to be finished. Um, I don't know if y'all saw a great article called The Sweet Spot of the Year that talked about how we got to this point of the year where the class was working, not, not necessarily banned, but the class had unity, had, we had a groove, we had a system, and that's when we lost our, here I'm crying too, that's when we lost our kids. Um, and we were just at that point where the music was starting to be art and was starting to, it was about ready to be performed. Not getting to finish that is, um, it is, it is truly a loss for me and a loss for, for my students. So to one aspect about not cleaning a march, I don't like to clean marches anyway, but not cleaning a piece and not working on precision. I, I, I think that that, 
if appropriate, certainly has its place because I think those two things can meld the relationships and the high expectations and the music. So not disagreeing, but I'm going to flip it to say that, um, that it can co- all coexist. Um, well, and in saying that, Jenna was horrified she didn't get to go to UIL. So in the same well, band hall, the, she, she, was, she was as horrified as you were. And I was like, I got a good Midwest recording, whatever. <laughs> but see, you got to perform. Yes, that's true. And that's you, absolutely you, true. So we, hadn't, we didn't even have pre-UIL. So not getting to perform this semester, um, I think that was, that, that was hard. And, and so what did we do? Everything we possibly could to create a performance on this computer screen. Right. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't fault any of us for, for missing out on the things that, that we missed out on. I, I, I don't know if Jim Shaw is on the call right now, but Jim was talking about, uh, you know, an, an eighth, eighth grade child and a 12th grade child that, that didn't get to finish their year that are, you know, both of, of his children. Uh, and I just, you know, I, that's, that's a huge grief for not being able to finish those things. And I certainly think back to my days as band directing and how much fun that I had telling fart jokes and, and, you know, interacting with, with kids while I was cleaning a march, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and all of that is, is one big piece of all of that, but that's, I mean, you use those tasks of cleaning a march or, or getting the precision right or whatever, uh, to build those relationships and show kids how much you care about them and to create those teamwork and you know, all the things I was talking about a while ago, those are the tools that we use to do those things and not having the, t- having those tools taken away from us. Heck yeah. That's, that's a lot of grief. I totally understand that. Yeah. I think you're finding that this is um, a great reset, if you will. You know, it's um, one of the things we talk about uh, actually in our Christian circles, we talk about this having been a great reset but it also it's a it's a heart check. It's, it it gives you an opportunity to to check your heart to see what what you really uh, what's really going on in there. You know, Darcy, you're talking about relationships. Those relationships are not something that just just happens. You know, you don't walk in the door and create a relationship. You know, it, it takes time and it takes nurturing. And and even with the the student who is the least of them, you still have a relationship with. Them. I'll be honest with you. I have a couple of kids that I feel like. I kind of dropped the ball, you know, because they, whether they you know, did or didn't do what they were supposed to do, maybe there was something else I can do. But I, I, I think it's really important for us at this point to, to take that time and do that heart check and, and whatever it looks like, whatever the next step looks like, how can I make sure that my heart of love is knit into that next step, if that makes sense? You know, because you are thinking about you but you also got to think about that child and everything that's that's going on with them as well. And man, this, 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 that's a big thing, but that's kind of where we are. It is, and we, we have to be prepared to as, as best we can for, for our kids. And again, I'm sorry for going off script, but this is like when the preacher goes off the sermon that he didn't give to the board before the service. That's where we're at right now. I'm sorry, okay? Um, but how... Um, how do you all or how have you uh, handled your students who are grieving or they're disengaged or, you know, they're, they're just not emotionally as connected as, as we thought. How are you guys handling students in, in that situation? I, every possible platform that we have. Um, I learned all these. 
ways to communicate with through Canvas that I didn't even know were there, where we can communicate straight to the kid. I mean, I, I don't think I would ever use email much anymore now that we can communicate straight to the kid. But I, I, I went to houses. I called. I, I, if I was worried about the child, that's how, and that's how I approached it. I'm so worried about you. Are you okay? Um, and then they feel really bad because they were just being a slacker. I, um, I, didn't, um, I did have some kids who moved to live with another family or another parent or went to stay with their grandparents. I did have some of that too, but I've called them. So to me, it was this relentless um, dedication to connecting with them and making sure they were okay. And then their accountability was raised up um, because a lot of, I, I have, um, as we all did, some students whose parents were in the medical um profession and they were on their own taking care of younger brothers and sisters or whatever. But um, so we just, we just scheduled our own sectionals whenever it worked out for them. So I, I think um, we, I was just relentless never to give up. And there wasn't any kid that I was unable to connect with. That was me. Well, I, I had a couple of situations where, um, you know, I had one student who was completely amazing uh, performer, you know, uh, just does everything he's supposed to do. And then when this happened, uh, they had to go help their parents at their convenience store and <clears throat> was not able to do a single assignment from the beginning. I mean, from the time it started because their parents' workers were gone and he had to work and he couldn't do anything. And so, you know, it was like, what can I do? So we had to come up with something, you know, and, and honestly, it was at first we had some, when we first started out, we had some written assignments, you know, because we thought it was temporary, you know, and then it changed back to performance base and he couldn't do the performance base. So we, we literally had to go on what would have been because of that child's track record, you know, and that kid was a senior. So that's tough, you know, um, and then I had another situation where a student didn't do much of anything and that was kind of par for the course, you know, and, you know, we got, we got accused of not doing enough or I got accused of not doing enough and had to use an email canvas kind of track to prove that we had reached out and reached out and got responses back. And it was really not, not good, but once we did that, all of a sudden assignments started flowing in. <laughs> right. You know, but um, it, it, it's tough. It, it's, it's really tough. And not everybody can go after every kid because not every kid is uh, reachable. You can't reach them all. Yeah. And we're going to, I'm going to switch gears a little bit right here. Uh, Mr. Or excuse me, Rory, this is for you. Uh, what is something that you'll continue to do that you started doing during virtual learning? Well, I'll admit, and I know not everybody has Canvas because not every district uses Canvas. So, you know, I know there are different platforms out there that people use. But for us as high school directors, we, we weren't using Canvas a lot. When I was at Synchronous Junior High, we did. We used Canvas. But um, we got back into it as high school directors, and, and it was really a great tool. You know, the, back, the quick back and forth with the kids and the ability to – to submit video and, and to critique video. Now it's time consuming because you know, when you're in a classroom of 50, 60 kids, you can do that quickly, but so that's not, it's time consuming, but it was good to be able to, to send, you know, to do the critiques through Canvas and kids actually got kind of 
creative with their canvas stuff and they get kind of funny on how they do videos. And some of you may have experienced that it actually became fun, you know, replying to them via video and them, you know, doing videos. Maybe their dog is there, you know, hating life when they're, you know, doing their video or whatever. So some of that kind of helped, but we will definitely continue uh, using the canvas platform and the zoom platform, you know, if allowed. We don't have Canvas, um, but I am very, very uh, envious of the districts that do because it sounds like it has a lot of functions that would be extremely useful in this, um, you know, current method of teaching. Um, but I know I've I've been speaking about how much I love Flipgrid this whole time. Like Flipgrid is so easy. I mean, it's like playing on social media. Like these kids immediately know what to do with Flipgrid because it's just like uploading a. Instagram or a TikTok or a whatever. I mean, like the kids know what to do and it's just so user friendly. Um, the fact that you can go back and like watch your video and decide if it was good enough for you. I, I have always been one that has been like hot and cold on having recorded assignments because I mean, honestly, cause it just, it takes up so much time to do. Um, and then you have to worry about if the kids are actually going to look at your feedback and all that kind of stuff. So I've, I've never been like hot for recorded stuff. But I, from the feedback that the kids have given me, and we all know this, if you can redo a video, you're going to redo it until it's good. And so the kids ended up spending more time on these assignments than they ever would have done if they had done it for us live. So yay for that. Um, but the, the Flipgrid platform is just so easy. Like we have some... We have some kids that are transferring over to Robert Herring School and some that are going over to Wiley. And I can just very, very quickly share their video with them of their audition so that Robert can watch what the kid did for their audition for me. And I, there's no of this like, OK, let's go back and like try to, to reconstruct all of this. So that's been great. I love that I can like in the focus post a video of myself doing stuff and the kids can practice with me. Um, it's just, I love Flipgrid and I'm so sad that I didn't listen in faculty meetings when they talked about this stuff like years ago, like Flipgrid is awesome. <laughs> and Darcy, I think that's one of the most important things that we, I hope we all will take away. You know, uh, uh, many of us had an opportunity to learn about technology years ago and we all said, I don't need it. I'm a band director. I got my kids live. It's going to be fine. Don't make me learn that stuff. And, 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 you know, everybody would tell uh, all those non-band directors would say, oh, but your band would be so much better, JD, if you would do the thing on technology. And I would say, yeah, no. And, <laughs> and now here we are, we had to learn all of this. So imagine, you know, the, the, the silver lining and all this is we're going to have a whole new set of tools. Yes. We'll still have our same old tools of in-person and all the ways that we teach kids in-person that, that work so well. Uh, and, and then now we have these things, you know, and so we've got both of those things that all of those other really smart, technologically savvy teachers had for all these years. And now we can use them too. And, and, you know, we were drug kicking and screaming into the land of technology, but here we are. And it's going to make us all better band directors two years from today. Absolutely. And folks, take a look at your uh, screen. I just put out a poll for you. Um, how do you feel about video submissions? Love it. I like it. Eh, it's okay. Or, oh, right? You mean before this? No, right <laughs> now in your, in your present state. <laughs> 
So based on like, you know, what you what you've done before and through the coronavirus uh, situation, how do you feel about using video submissions? You know what the other cool thing about um, recorded stuff? So I'm sure a lot of y'all did this too, but we ended up doing our solo and ensemble um, over Flipgrid because um, it was supposed to be at the beginning of May. And one of the things that like I had never realized or I'm, I knew it, but I had never really thought about it. I have never gotten to watch my kids perform their solos ever. Like I'm out in the hallway. I'm, right. I'm always out in the hallway coordinating the next kid to go into the room. And so I got to watch these kids perform and I was absolutely blown away just in the way that some of them move and hold their bodies as they do this. And I don't know, I, it was just, it was amazing to me. Like that was an experience that, um, you know, I don't know if we'll, I told Jenna, we should just do soul and ensemble online every year. We'll never have to worry about scheduling this again. But like that, getting to watch the kids perform was so amazing. Really cool silver lining to a really strange thing. Yeah. I have a, a cool thing to add to that. Um, our, our eighth graders submitted their um, high school audition stuff. Um, and I had a, an eighth grade student over the course of a, the week that they had send me 10 different recordings of that lyrical etude. And through the time, his acoustical location changed about five times to them basically recording in the front room with the highest part of the ceiling and his attire changed. And every time I commented, I did not say anything about about anything except the music, only the music. But he and by the end, by the best video, he had a shirt tucked in, like mm. probably had on had a shirt tucked in and a belt. And I was, and the best acoustics. So the things that they, that we've learned, the kids have learned exponentially too. And it, it, it's pretty cool. I mean, what you're saying about watching solos, that kind of the same and watching those eighth graders do their audition music, like all the movement and sort of, look at y'all. But I, I mean, I have to think like we, we gave them the, I don't know, the gumption to go for that, but they learned a lot on their own. And I was, ne I never did video anything prior to this. Never. I like live stuff. When I had my last Zoom with my band on Tuesday, I asked them what they thought of the online um, solo and ensemble and how many of them loved performing their solo in their bedroom. Because, you know, sometimes you like, you know, you get your energy for how you perform from having an audience and having, you know, I mean, y'all all know, y'all are all musicians. Um, but most of them raised their hand and said they preferred it you know, obviously because they could get their best recording, but they felt um, they weren't being watched. So they felt more free to do the things. Like I've got this little girl in my band that absolutely amazing flute and piccolo player, but she's very, very reserved and very timid and very soft-spoken. You would never know it from the way she stood up and she's like jamming out with the solo. And just her presence is not something that we would have ever seen at school. Um, and I just, I've, what a cool, cool thing to get to see these kids do what they, they feel inside, um, letting that come outwardly because they don't have, you know, peers to freak them out. I don't know. Isn't he? And that, that right there is why we have to keep figuring out how to do this because yes. that what that's why online band is going to be still important because she would not have had the opportunity to do that in, in math. Yep. That just gave me like a good feel like, Ooh. 
Yeah, and that's 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 uh, I think a real important takeaway. And I said it a while ago. Some kids have thrived in this atmosphere. We have to make sure that when we get back together, we don't take away these opportunities. We don't say to ourselves, "Oh well, now we're back together. Now we can return to the way we always did things." We have to look at the great things that we've learned here and continue to use them and continue to develop them and to continue to learn more about them so we can, you know, elevate even what we know about online instruction and and use it at a higher level. We can't just return to the old ways and put these things aside. J.D., I have a question for you as an administrator. Um, you know, and I know every district is going to be different and it's going to be different across our country. But, you know, what are we to do or what can we do as band directors to make sure that this is a viable thing um, as far as districts are concerned? You know, don't get me wrong. Math, science, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, is obviously important. And there's obviously some lag right now that kids are going to have to make up for. But how are we, what can we do to make sure, if anything, that we advocate to, to keep this around? Well, I, I, can, I can tell you from my perspective, and uh, the, uh, some of you know about TMAC, the Texas Music Administrators Conference, and, and it's people like me that do this across Texas, uh, but none of us are just do, do music. We do theater, and we do art, and we do dance, and you know we do all those other things too, and we had a meeting like this to talk about a lot of those things. Um, and there are people in every district that are discussing the value of the four core courses and our kids that need to get fill their reading gaps and, you know, all those things. And what what will be the place of the arts? What will be the place of band when kids have have so much gap to fill? And so my advice to all of us is make sure that you have a seat at the table. Make sure that you are communicating with the people that are. Uh, making those kinds of hard choices uh, and make sure that you're reaching out at every opportunity in the most positive way you can. Uh, if it's your principal, if there's you know some site-based management in your school district that you're reaching out to your principal and saying, hey, you know, let me let me know about how the scheduling thing is going to go down. Let me uh, be a part of the solution. I think those things are really important. If you're lucky enough to be in a district where you have a, a, a fine arts director, make sure that you're in constant communication with them about what the district is talking about, what the people over my head in Tomball, you know, there, there are people over my head that are helping uh, make these decisions, but I'm making sure that that I'm in those conversations, that at any time where I feel like I, I might have missed out on something, I'm immediately jumping in and saying, hey, I heard there was a conversation about this thing. Uh, did you think about what the arts mean there? So uh, number one is staying super positive. Number two is always go with a solution. Don't don't just go to your principal. Don't just go to your director of fine arts and say this sucks. They're gonna they're gonna make kids do this this and this, and they're not gonna accommodate band. Uh, don't be that guy. Be the one that has an answer and has a solution. Uh, and make sure you're a part of the conversation. Be positive. Uh, uh, you know, and bring bring solutions to the table, and then just make sure you stay informed. Above all else, just continue to ask questions. Don't assume that everybody around you understands the value of the arts. It was a great thing. I hope that you saw it from, um, it came out from uh, Con Selmer, or maybe it's from Music for All, 
uh, earlier today, but I, I, I think I got it maybe from Tim Lotzenheiser. It was just three great comments about the value of the arts. Uh, and if you if you didn't see it, I'm pretty sure it came from Conselmer and the Conselmer Institute that's coming up the week after next. Uh, but talking, there are just three easy talking points about how important it is what we do. Bring it up to everybody you can in every way you can. Don't be hysterical. Stay positive. Be a part of the conversation. Bring solutions to the table. Absolutely. And folks, I want to put a quick pause in here. Um, we're about to get to our Q&A. Time has raced away from all of us, and that's okay. Um, we're down to the, like the last 10 minutes. So if you have questions for the Q&A, put them in the chat, and I'll try my best to, to pull out what, um, what we can. Uh, one comment I do want to make is – if you're in Texas, we are, by and large, we are in a, in a great state to teach music. Uh, there are many people that, I'm, I went to school in Massachusetts, uh, and many of those people are worried for their jobs. They're worried that music will not come back. So it is, it is a real blessing if you are not concerned about your job, you're concerned about your content. Um, and what, what does your teaching look like? So uh, those of you who are not from Texas, I do feel for you because it's very, very different outside of Texas, uh, how music looks on the whole. So um, I do want to do make a couple plugs. Uh, in two weeks, we have the Sam Houston State Music Workshop. That is outstanding, outstanding pedagogy from top-notch teachers. Oh, here we go with the cats. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> cats, eat them up, cats. <laughs> Um, oh, I love it. So oh, we, no, there's we, a lumberjack in the room. Oh, oh no. <laughs> ask him, I don't know. My, my school's right. mascot was the jazz cat, so we can't talk. It's okay. <laughs> uh, don't ask. It's okay. I told you. Um, <laughs> but the Sam Houston State Music Workshop is outstanding. It's online, and I want to say it's $10, if I'm not mistaken. It's, 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 it's at an exceptional price. Uh, it's virtual, but you can get a lot from that, folks. The Conselmer Institute, J.D. just mentioned it. That's June 8th and 9th. Again, top-notch, world-class folks coming in to teach that. That's two days, June 8th and 9th. Uh, and again, please sign up. Those are outstanding. And then uh, TBA, Texas Bandmaster Association, is doing it. It's going virtual. Uh, and it is July 20th and 22nd, So, or through 22nd. So there's learning to be had all across, and that's not it. There's lots of stuff happening, but those three I wanted to point out. Um, I want to thank our clinicians tonight. We're not done. I just want to get this before we go to our Q&A. Thank you, clinicians. Y'all have been fabulous. There's so much that we're covering, and, and y'all's perspective is so valued. I, I, I've really enjoyed myself tonight, uh, which often I'm always trying to work, but I've been able to tune in, and this is really great. Um, and I want to thank God because he's been able to put this together for me and, and make it work. It, this has been something that's reached nearly all 50 states, and we've been on five different continents with this. So it, it's something that's really special. And, folks, if you missed a session, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pod, you can check all that stuff out uh, and go get what you missed. So with all of that, whew, all right, I forgot to take my two-count breath. I'm sorry, folks. Um, Sorry, I had to put that in there. All right, here we go. Let's go through some of our Q&A. Um, so this is a question that we got in the chat. Um, ooh, what are you planning to do in regards to ensemble development and skills online? And anybody can take it. It's not uh, directed towards any person. Well, I'll be real honest. I am 100% more concerned about beginners. <laughs> Um, that is, I, I have, at some point I will think about that, 
And at some point, I will think about how I'm supposed to address, uh, you know, ensemble tuning and balance and that kind of stuff. But I'm really concerned about starting beginners and possibly going to school for a few weeks and then us going back home again or us not going to school at all. Like I'm I'm real concerned for that. And anybody that's not concerned about beginners, I can't believe that there's not somebody that's not concerned about beginners because that's a seven year problem. Like I, I'm real concerned about beginners. Um, that's it. Yeah. I think mine as a high school director, kind of goes the same direction on solid development. I'm not really like, it kind of goes with what JD was saying earlier. It's more individual child focus, uh, coupled with the relationship component. I think that's where it all comes together. The ensemble development is, is is secondary. And you know what, honestly, it always is because if you think about it, they got to learn to play before you can put them in an ensemble. And so what, what we learned over this course of time is that kids were getting better through the repetition of the assignments that we were giving them. And so we were kind of like, when we do get back and we can put all those puzzle pieces together, but at least they're still playing. And at least I'm able to kind of hear and, help them develop their individual skill set so that if the time comes that we get back together, we can do ensemble stuff. So I'm probably more focused on the individual musician and person versus the ensemble. And I think that if we're able to continue to have sectionals, um, that, I mean, one of the ways I think that ensemble ensemble works is by the ownership within the section. So, Coming back to relationship, relationships, accountability, ownership, ensemble. Um, so even though we can't say listen and balance, we can talk about that um, the the relationships. And if you can work in small groups, which I think are, is the best way anyway, um, that then those things can be can be talked about. And then li- re- sharing recordings of you know of things that aren't in good ensemble and things that are. That's just yeah. a, a thought. Yeah. And, and we had this conversation the other night with some music publishers that I was on a call with. Um, they're churning out small ensembles right now. When we get back to the fall and we can't have all 60 of our kids in the same room at the same time, when we have social distancing and we're going to only have a handful of kids at once, then we have an opportunity to just turn the calendar year on itself and let's learn small ensembles. Let's teach kids to play flute trios. Let's teach kids to play sax quartets um, at the very beginning of the year and teach them ensemble skills, not by listening to 50 others, but by listening to two or three others. Uh, And the idea of small ensembles becomes our our way to teach ensemble at the beginning of the year when we don't have everybody at the same time. Absolutely. So we're, we're going to go to our next question here. Um, uh, I'm going to read the whole question. So it says, I teach in a very poor rural area where I face two problems, lack of access to technology, and lack of internet availability. What can I do to continue doing good band without being able to assign slash teach my students using videos or Google Classroom or the like? Yeah, uh, you know, this is not banned per se, but it's a, it's an idea. I have a, a pastor friend of mine that lives in Cuba, and we were just talking the other day, and they're in quarantine too, but he kind of lives out in a rural area, and he and I talk through WhatsApp, you know, and um, <clears throat> what he does with his parishioners is he, he records things on um, literally like cassette, 
um, or any medium that they can. And then he takes it to them so that the, the sermons that he does, he, he records like multiple times and then, or he may even play them out in the open where no one is near one another. So I think what you do is you, if, if your area allows it, I don't know if you're in Texas or, or another state, but you know, social distancing is a thing. And if, if you can, if they allow you to put people out in a big field or, or something like that, or, or one at a time, maybe you can create something in a way that you can digitally reproduce it and, and have it delivered to your students. But um, that's kind of looks like that may be one of the things you have to do in order to get information to those people that are out there. Yeah, I think taking it to them is the answer. You, it, you know, it, it may put you as a band director at a disadvantage and at a hardship, but if you're in a rural area that's poor, but if you can make connection with the child, and you can drive 15 miles out into the country somewhere down a dark, you know, dirt road, and and that kid can stand over there, and you and that kid can make music together, or you can give a short private lesson for half an hour at a safe social distance underneath the fig tree. I mean, I I just I think that is amazing. Um, and, and I wish that all of us had that chance to do that. I think you have a unique opportunity if you live in a rural area like that to create relationships way beyond those of us that live in the suburbs. Great. Absolutely. So folks, we're down, uh, clinicians it's seven twenty-seven. So another question would take us to like seven thirty-three ish. Can we do another question? Seven forty-three. No. Depends on if I shut up or not. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank y'all. Here we go. Here's our, here is our last uh, question that we have. And it came really early. Um, and this is a big question. Be careful. It says, what do you see as the new normal? How do you have a 75 or hundred piece band with social distancing? Um, what does music ed need to do to survive? So it's, let me, let me drop that question in the chat. Cause that's Mr. Yonda. <laughs> right, I was like, JD. Oh, wait, this guy. Okay, so the, the, the new normal is not normal, okay? That's, that's, that's it. Don't, don't assume, and I'm stealing this from Bob Morrison, uh, and many of you know Bob Morrison, but the, the idea that what we're doing right now, this is not normal. So the idea that we, we're using the term the new normal, don't ever believe it for a minute. We won't be normal until we're back to normal until all of your kids are in your band hall and there is, uh, you know, there's no such thing as social distancing and there is a vaccine for this and we are back to that. That's what normal is. Now, we have to make sure that nothing bad happens to us between today and that day. We need to make sure that those conversations with our administrators and whatever's going to happen to our band programs between then and now, that when we get back to that day when we're all safe to be close together again, that we do return to what we've always known and that no damage has been done. So there's not a new normal. The only thing is what's normal is what we've always known, what we've always done and what we've always been so successful at. That's normal. And don't believe for a second that this is the new normal. What's going to happen with band in six months? It's going to be a whole lot of what we're doing right now, you guys. I, I think it's naive for us to believe anything else. Um, if, if, if after Christmas this year, we can return to something that looks more like normal used to, I think that'd be great. 
But I think we need to figure out a way that we can get through the next school year, the 2021 school year, kind of doing what we're doing, and then make sure that nothing terrible happens to us in the meantime. And then let's go back to normal. When we get back to normal, normal in the fall of the next year or whenever that we're fortunate enough to do that. Uh, the, the future of band looks great. With all of you here and being a part of this, this is this is the future of band. It's us that are choosing to learn about um, whatever the next thing comes along and being able to work through it. Absolutely. And one thing that I'm going to kind of, I'm kind of put a bow on it uh, is that this opportunity that we've had with, even with the virtual band director conference, we've been able to provide information for people literally all over the world. And as from a learning perspective, we all have the opportunity to learn from or learn about the things that we want to learn about, that we want to improve about, and we can help our kids further by improving our own knowledge. So oh, with that, I want to say one or sorry, a couple more thank yous. So again, thank you to Jesus for this, because this is this is a real, I, I can't do this by myself. Um, and he's the reason all this happens. I want to thank uh, Mr. Bennett Parsons. He's not here. He's actually doing a parade with his kids. Aww, uh, yay, so he's usually helping me with this tonight. And I want to thank Michelle B. Shaw. I believe she's on the call tonight. Uh, she's been helping me kind of talk through some things as well. There's so many people that I'd, I'd, um, I, I'd like to thank, but if I call them all, I'm going to miss somebody. So, folks, I If you like what you heard, subscribe and check out our website, virtualbanddirectorconference.com. Thanks for joining us, and remember, there's no stealing in band when you give with an open hand.